So hello once again, everyone. Steve Taylor here. Thanks a lot for uh, tuning in, for clicking, for downloading, whatever it might be, uh, to another session of what we like to call the thoughts and growth mode, right? We have, I have a couple different formats for this podcast. One is where we interview uh, business owners, but this is really more on a subject matter uh, area. And the subject matter that we're we're working on in, in these few episodes most recently is really the issue, which really is prevalent almost on everybody's mind. It's one of the biggest issues really out there in our country, maybe around the world, is, is the issue of aging and long-term care planning and, and how we deal and how we address and how we go through that. You know, the first episode in this in this series, we had a wonderful uh, young lady who's really passionate about starting a business, about starting those those conversations and trying to be proactive and and everything as you might be. But so in this episode, we come at it from a different point of view. This is really, you know, I, my hope here is to kind of address and maybe dispel some myths about Medicaid and long-term planning. And with us today, we have uh, an expert on the subject, uh, Andy. Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and about what you do. Hi, my name is Andy Bellinson, or Andrew Bellinson is what the judges always call me. And I'm an attorney who focuses on elder law. And specifically, um, I focus on a, a moment in people's lives when they may have to take care of their parents or grandparents to help pay for long-term care. And that that means care at home could mean uh, assisted living in an assisted living facility, or it could mean nursing home and long-term care. And uh, while I help families with that and I address planning issues and lots of emotional issues, I'm mostly focused on getting them qualified for either Medicaid or the Veterans Administration benefits and protecting assets. So that's what I focus on every day. And I speak to a lot of families that are in a moment of crisis, and it feels really good to be able to help them out. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, so we have a you know very similar in this in this regard, Andy. You know, we I used to practice in this area, and so I know I'm very familiar with what you go through. But so let's start, Andy, really talking about you know these scenarios that your initial introduction or how you meet uh, these families and kind of their situation, right? Because many people, you know, as of, I'm on the you know planner now, and we try to address these things beforehand, but so many times people just don't. So maybe walk us through, you know, maybe a, a typical fact pattern of like how someone comes find you, who's reaching out to you, what are you talking about, kind of, you know, what's a, you know, what's the scenario and lay the groundwork for, you know, when once you get brought in. Okay, so good question. Um, so what happens typically is that uh, grandma has fallen, and uh, she goes to the hospital, and in the hospital. Uh, if she stays for a couple of days when they're ready to let her out because she no longer needs to be in a hospital, they'll usually send her to a rehab facility. And somewhere between the hospital, the rehab facility, maybe a doctor's office, somebody says to them, oh, what are you going to do when she is able to go back home? Because she can't be there alone, right? Because she's fallen. It's probably her second or third time falling. And the family is really concerned. And at that moment, often people will say, maybe you should speak to somebody about getting benefits through the VA or through Medicaid. Maybe you should speak with an elder law attorney. Maybe you should speak with a, a social worker. And that's how all of my clients come to me. 
I don't have any advertising. Um, so all of my clients are going to come from a trusted professional after somebody, almost always, after somebody has had a crisis. So I, uh, Steve, you've sent me clients. Um, uh, a lot of financial advisors might have had this conversation, the good ones at least, um, with their clients in advance about this. Um, a lot of times it's social workers, people who work in skilled nursing, people who work at hospitals. Those are the people, they, they know that I've helped out other similar families and they give them my phone number. And every day uh, when I get a call, I always ask them, where did you hear about me? So I just know where they are in the this process. And it's it's always somebody in the, in the pinch point areas where all of a sudden a family is being told that their grandmother can't go home, can't live at home alone, at least, and maybe they need caregivers, but it's really, really expensive uh, to have a caregiver in, in their house, even a few hours a day. Um, so a lot of times I know when I went through this with my dad, I said, how are we going to pay for this? How is this going to happen? I have a couple brothers. I have a brother and a sister. And we talked about it and we could pay for a little while. But it was luckily we met somebody who told us about the VA benefit. And um, was that was it, Andy? Was that I'm so interested? Was that before you were really practicing in this area and just learning about it when you went through it personally? Definitely, it was before. Okay, uh, I had heard about this because I used to help people in financial crisis. So I'd heard some some people who did quite well in their careers telling me that they were out of money. All of a sudden, yet they were mm. making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And I couldn't understand how that could be. But then when they described they took care of their aunt or they had to take care of their mom, then I started to learn about it. But it wasn't then we went through it. My family went through it. And then it really wasn't even for another year that I really got involved in it professionally. And it's been the best thing I've ever done for my for my life and my career. It's a great uh, practice area. I'm able to help people. I'm a lawyer who actually gets hugs from their clients. I'm always like, hey, I'm your attorney. You don't need to hug me. But <laughs> uh, but really the adult children, when I've finally told them they're not going to have to pay $10,000 a month or $15,000 a month to keep their grandmother in a, a nursing home. And I can have the government pay for that. And it's all legal and we're not committing fraud and I'm able to protect their home. Uh, of course, people want to hug me because they yeah. they just heard a lot of good information that yeah. relieves them. I mean, I, I'm I'm a, an attorney, but I feel like half my practice is really therapy because nobody knows about this. Yeah, and you're you're getting hit as a family member. When I went through this, getting hit on so many different sides, um, like with my dad, he fell. All of a sudden, this strong man was no longer so strong. And I had to face that. And then he had emotional issues, you know, around that, like he realized it. And he had to think about his own mortality. And and at the same time, there's practical issues. Like who's going to take care of him? Am I going to move into his apartment? You know, I have kids. Yeah. You know, there's a lot there. So getting the right pieces of information to get professionals to be able to help you is really key. And I, and I try to deliver that too. I'm more, you know, I'm a lawyer, but I've had the opportunity to learn a, a lot of other areas in this sphere for families. And I can help guide them a little bit, tell them about different programs and um, different experts that I can so, help send them to. 
So, so when they come to you, uh, Andy, and they're they're in the pinch, as you mentioned, and this this person, this trusted professional, has referred you. Hey, listen, you you need to speak to Andy, kind of like the the wolf, right, from Pulp Fiction. You need to go talk to Andy, right? We're, we're we're in this situation. What what is it like? What is the first steps like? What what do you go? What do you need? Right, you're the lawyer, right? You're not the 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 care the care manager. You know those professionals are taking care of that. What's the information that you look for? What are you trying to get from this family? Like kind of immediately to help you do your job. So, as a lawyer, I have to ask certain really important questions. So I start with this one: Tell me what's going on. Tell me your story, because I don't go right into the deep questions yet. I need somebody to tell me what they're actually facing, because one person could be they spent two days in the hospital and they're ready to go home. And that's, mm-hmm. that's it. But they still wanted to reach out. Other people could be, you know, they're 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 not conscious. Right. And but they can't <laughs> stay in the hospital anymore. They're stabilized. And, and that's the situation. So I really say, tell me about what's going on with your family member. And then I hear the story. Typically, my clients are going to be retired. They're going to be over the age of 65. And that's a key number in this process. If you're over 65, we've already jumped over a couple of hurdles. So then I ask them as they're telling me their story, I'm f- figuring out what their needs are going to be. And I'm figuring out what their problems with getting approved without needing a lawyer might be, right? So if they own their own home, if they have an IRA, if they have money in the bank, all those things we can protect and overcome. But if you just threw in an application with any of those things and you didn't do it correctly, there would be problems getting benefits. So I I really just go through, tell me about what their life was like before, what their finances are like. And it's just a real general question and answer opportunity. And I do most of that just on a phone call or a Zoom because Mm -hmm. they don't need to, they're already in enough stress. They don't need to drive through Miami traffic, come down from Broward just to come meet with me to tell me things that we really could have addressed on the phone. So I go through just basic questions. I'm finding out what their finances are, what their uh, living situation is. And then from there, we start to go through uh, does it make sense to do Medicaid? Is, are the needs appropriate? And then as we're going through that, I'm also trying to say, okay, well, where where's your mom? Where is she right now? Oh, she's still in the hospital. Okay, what facilities are they suggesting? And I am not a care manager and I'm not a social worker, but I've heard the stories enough and I work with a lot of those people. So when I start to hear a family describing their stresses, Look, I'm just a lawyer. I can only do so much. So I'll try to direct them to some great people who have helped out other families that I've worked with. And I put them in touch with with them so that they can get through some other hurdles that may be a little bit less about the law and more about the process. Because we've got to get to a good place. Yeah. And on the law side, so you mentioned you're trying to ascertain whether they're going to apply for Medicaid, whether they're going to apply for VA. So if you've met with the family and, you know, you kind of ascertain, okay, we are going to go down that route. What is the information you really need? What are you looking at? You mentioned financials, you mentioned assets, you mentioned income, kind of what are the important items there that the family needs, the information they need to get you and the important issues you're looking for to be able to to qualify these people for benefits? Those are, those are great. So, um, Basically, income, so Social Security, uh, investments, 
you know, family income coming in. We start there. We'll talk about um, uh, savings, retirement planning that they have done. Uh, then we talk about the assets they have, real estate, um, equities, mutual funds, conservative uh, assets, and more uh, aggressive ones they may have, annuities, all the, all this type of stuff. Basically, I say to them, let me see your checking account, and I'll help figure out some things. And uh, I'm always looking for, this is a hard one, excuse me, um, the social security statement. So if you have that, it comes in a little perforated envelope. Don't throw that out. Have that, just keep that because that one's hard for people to get sometimes. And then the real, another real difficult thing for people to get is life insurance information. Mm -hmm. And if they have somebody like you, they're miles ahead because you've probably gone through that with them as well. The life insurance companies move really slowly. And it can cause some some issues for us. But I try to address that in the first conversation to get them started. I'll say, hey, I can take care of all these 20 things. Just get me that life insurance. Get it going. Yeah. So a really key thing, Steve, is, and it kind of goes back to probably the um, podcast you did last week or a couple of weeks ago with, with the woman about the pre-planning is a power of attorney. So I say mm -hmm. to each and every one of you, get a power of attorney drawn up. Uh, that is where you designate some important person in your life who you trust to help if you're not able to do certain things. Like, for example, you broke your legs, you can't go to the, the bank, but you literally need somebody to go to the bank for you. Who would that person be? Who would you trust? That person needs to be, that, that designation needs to be in writing. Yeah. But a good solid power of attorney changes everything if there's ever a situation for you um, where you can't communicate well, you can't do certain things, you can't call the insurance company to get the life insurance policy so we can take a look at it. Those kind of things are remedied by having a power of attorney. And I've been brought into lots of facilities to give presentations to all these people about complicated estate plans where we're creating these beautiful trusts. And I say, stop. We don't need to talk about that yet. What we need to talk about is something that matters while you're alive, not your will. Your will's after you've already passed away. Let's take care of things that are going to help you while you're alive. And for me, that number one item is a power of attorney. And I tell everybody that. And the people will say to me, the adult children, right? So we're helping out grandma. Grandma has a power of attorney. She's fantastic. She did what she was supposed to do. But the kids who might be 45, right? The grandkids or adult children, 45, 55, might say to me, oh, I don't need it. I'm not sick. And I say to them, do you not drive on 95? Are you never <laughs> on the turnpike? Everybody is one bad turn from maybe ending up in the hospital. So yeah. I say, have that document. It's easy. It doesn't, give, doesn't mean the person can come take your money out of your bank. It means if you need them to, they then have the authority to do what benefits you. They can't do things that don't benefit you. So you're not giving them the keys to the castle. You're you're kind of making it so you can go, you can give them the direction of where to get the keys. Yeah. So. And so I'll say there also on, you know, a couple of things on powers of attorney, even with our clients, you know, we, we remind them when their children turn to age 18, right? They can't make decisions for them anymore. So everyone needs these power of attorneys. But let me go back to that financial information, like you say, that you need. And this is something that we do in our practice all the time. 
it's it's so important on, on my side when I meet I sit down with clients. I say, listen, you have to provide us with everything, all the information, right? Because for us to make give you good advice when it comes to Medicaid planning. It is vital that they give you every single bit of information because if they fail to disclose, right, it's going to come up. Medicaid, they're going to find out about it on the application and it's going to set you back. So it's so vital at that point when the family's coming to you that they provide information on every single asset. Now, in good faith, they may not know all the assets, right? So mm-hmm. I tell people in that case, a good place to go to is find a tax return, right? Look at their tax return. Is there is there information being reported here? Interest, dividends, right? That starts that helps you to to get all these things through. Uh, so that's really, really big, you know, really big issue there that they have given have given you all that information to be able not only give the advice, but then when you're getting ready to make your application. So Andy, right. what I, yeah, what I do, Steve, after I've had this very scientific and legally based conversation that started with, so tell me what's going on uh, with that story. And they do tell me a lot and we go through and I listen and I give them time and we really talk through the nuances. I then say, I'm going to send you a questionnaire where you can fill all this stuff in. You don't have to type it. You can just handwrite it. um, And it backs up that conversation. And it goes exactly to your point. It gives them the opportunity to think about those assets. And then at the same time, I'm asking them, hey, for your bank statements, oh, what? how much was earned last year? So sometimes the tax returns are really important, if, if especially if somebody has sophisticated uh, assets. But usually it's just that conversation plus this document that they can spend a little bit more time on and they handwrite the information. It's not bad. It, it's six pages at most, and half those pages don't apply to most people. So they kind of can go through it pretty quickly, but it helps people narrow it down. And you're exactly right. If I if they've told me everything, I can fix almost everything on every single case, but I have to know about it. I have a case where my client seems like things just keep happening that we didn't expect. So maybe they didn't hide anything from me, but instead of having the whole universe of what's going on at the beginning where I could put some pieces of the puzzle together really fast. I'm having to rebuild the puzzle over and over to help them. And honestly, a lot of these are very unique situations, so I can't blame the client or or her family, but, but it, it's a lot harder. But if we know, the more we know at the beginning, the more yeah. we can fix. And so far, so good. Like we don't have cases get denied. It's it's about having the right information from the beginning to set up the strategy, put the pieces of the puzzle together, and then we can submit timely. So, so Andy, you know, I, always when I would practice and these families would come in, right? One of the initial uh, decisions I would make and kind of a judgment, it's kind of on my side and talk to the family and talk them through it, is a certain level that if they had a certain amount of assets, and a sufficient you know amount of assets that were very large they're going to be tough to plan to plan around I'd say hey listen you guys you don't you don't really it's not going to be in your best interest to go down this path for Medicaid right because there's going to be a lot of decisions you're going to have to make irrevocably irretrievably you know it might not be the way to go do you have a general rule of thumb when you sit down remember this is not somebody it's a different conversation, right? We're, we're like five years out looking to plan. This is as you know, your typical clients, you explain they're, they're coming in, they need the care. Is there a typical amount of assets that you, you know, you kind of see 
you know, a ballpark to say, listen, if you have this, you probably need to self-pay for a little while longer, or you should think about it before we go into any really, uh, you know, challenging uh, Medicaid or, or VA planning. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to say, Steve, because if the person and their spouse is 75 versus 95, there's a, you know, the person mm -hmm. at 75 might have $800,000 sitting in their back pocket, right? Mm -hmm. If if their spouse at 75 is starting with a low level of dimension, we're seeing a 10 or 15 year perhaps horizon, that 800,000 is not enough. If the person is 95 years old and they have 800,000, I'm going to say, you're not going to live to 120, so you're fine, right? So mm -hmm. it really is one of these things where it is case by case. And definitely a married couple is different than an individual. Mm -hmm. And it really depends all the other assets that are involved. So what I, so Steve, I'm a little abnormal as an attorney. I don't charge people for these conversations and they're long. I will spend an hour with a client, usually while I'm driving to another client, <laughs> but I will spend an hour on the phone with a client and chat and figure it out and, and be taking notes. So I tell people, just call me and I'll let you know. And there's definitely, I'll do the math. Uh, there's not a hard and fast number. And I don't want to, because for some people, $100,000, if that's their total assets, it's actually going to be enough because their income's really low. I can, you know, um, their income's really low and we can plan around it really simply. Their needs aren't high. That may be enough. For the another person with totally different needs, it could be it could be $500,000. So it's really, I just feel it out with the clients and I tell them there's pros and cons to every decision we make in life. I try yeah. to go over it with them. And I have had clients who I would say, look, your grandfather is not going, unfortunately, he's 101 years old. He is not going to live for a year. He's mm -hmm. really sick. He's just come out of the hospital. He spent a month in the hospital. He's now in a nursing home. He's not going to live a year, right? It's obvious. Yeah. And I will tell the family, you don't need me, right? I've had families who still said, Mr. Bellinson, I want you to do it because doing something made them feel better than doing nothing, right? right. And I laid it So it's really a case by case and without giving them horrible news, like, hey, your loved one is going to pass away because I don't like to say that, but... um. So let me let me ask this, Andy, you know, you know, we, we go through that. I totally understand. You know, it, it is absolutely it's case by case. All the assets are different. How does it go into this mix? All the families are different. Everyone comes and you've got to assess. Right. That's what our job is. Right. We can't just apply uh, one idea and template to everybody. Let me let me uh, let you address, you know, maybe one of the or maybe there's multiple, but I know the biggest uh, concern or myth uh, either the people come through. Uh, when they say, hey, I would never even dream of applying for Medicaid, right? Is that I I'm going to lose my house. They're going to take my house. They're going to take everything. I guess specifically on the house and then maybe anything else, how does that work, you know, regarding somebody and their and their homestead when they're applying uh, for Medicaid and, and maybe their other assets in general, kind of how does that work? Great. So that's a great question. So firstly, let me touch on something you said. A lot of people like, ooh, Medicaid, I'm not poor. I don't need Medicaid. 
this is not the same Medicaid as people who, when they're younger, can get. It's just not. It sounds the same. It's kind of tied into the same program, but it's a completely different program. You can't do asset protection for, for Medicaid when you're 35 years old, but you can do it for us, for, for retired people. So the homestead is a big issue, right? Obviously, it's special in Florida, your homestead. It's really got a lot of positive characteristics. You can absolutely have Medicaid uh, and own your homestead. Of course, if you're living in your homestead and you're getting to have Medicaid to pay for care to come to your home, that's one thing. So obviously you can keep your house there. Um, if you're living in assisted living, absolutely you can keep your homestead. And even in a nursing home with the proper paperwork, you can keep your homestead and live in a nursing home. Because the hope is in all those cases, you're gonna do better and you're gonna go back to your home, number one. Number two, and this is really important, when you're getting Medicaid, we want to characterize all of the assets in a way that is beneficial for you to get the to get Medicaid, but also what happens next. So we will often, Recharacterize the the homestead property and how it's owned, and it's called an enhanced life estate deed. I'm sure you've seen those, Steve. And it, it's where the person who owns the home continues to own it for the rest of their lives, and then upon their passing, just like in their will, but upon their passing, it goes to whoever they want, right? So it can go to their kids automatically. What makes it special, different than how you would have it passed in a will or in a trust, is it happens instantaneous and uh, Medicaid is aware that that deed exists. In fact, I show Medicaid that deed. I say, my clients got an enhanced life estate deed. So when they finish with getting their Medicaid for all these years, their house is going to transfer immediately to their children without going through probate. And Medicaid is going to be comfortable with it. Medicaid's never going to try to grab the asset. Medicaid never takes your house when you're living, right? Mm -hmm. um, but even after you're passing, if if the deeds are done right, if the IRAs are done right, and the assets are done right, Medicaid never comes back trying to claw back because people have heard about clawbacks with government programs, right? Mm -hmm. But with this one, if everything's done right, there's no opportunity for them to claw back anything. Florida is very docile towards clawing back anyways with Medicaid for retired people. They're very good about it. But even if there was a fact pattern that allowed it, with a little bit of planning, you go around it. And the amazing thing about Medicaid is that everything we do, all my genius plans that I have in this head, I show to Medicaid. This is not some triple blind trust where we're out in the Cook Islands and down in the Bahamas and none of that like CIA kind of stuff with, with moving money around. I show them everything we do. I show them what it looked like a few months ago. I show them where, where I moved it, the day I moved it. I show them even where I moved it to. And I give them all that stuff. Because you know, it's the funniest thing, Steve. I have a lot of clients who live in Florida the elderly person lives in Florida. Their kids are new, are lawyers up on Wall Street, mm -hmm. right? And they call me and they're like, hey, I needed to help my mom. And I do. And then, the, then I explain the techniques we're going to use. And I really lay it out. And particularly if this is a lawyer or somebody who wants or accountant or somebody wants to talk about it, I really go into the details if they want. And they'll say to me, are you sure you're not committing fraud? 
And I'm like, well, <laughs> I was, I'm really bad at it because I'm showing them everything I'm doing. So, yeah. and I'm like, and I'll, I have had to send articles, scholarly articles um, uh, about what I do to these guys who are lawyers. I'm like, you don't get to bill me for that. Like, yeah, it's counterintuitive, right? I, it's it really is, and so it's your you you nailed it. It's so much that you know, absolutely, you're not hiding everything. You have to show them that these rules allow it. And to mm -hmm. you, kind of alluded to before, it's that there there's these systems and these rules are in place in that they don't want people to go into a nursing home completely destitute, right? They understand mm -hmm. that there are additional needs above and beyond that. So these different types of trusts, these asset transfers, these homesteads, these, these various incomes that they you know, are there to supplement and help out and, and improve the quality of life because they realize that anything a little bit that can help out these people, it won't be as difficult and as large as potentially a cost on the institutions that they have to go into, right? But it's counterintuitive, but that's, ex that's exactly how it works and, and to people and, and to work on it. And Andy, you know, the, so the home, I, I, I love that. I love how you you stated that exactly just to spell that myth, right? Because I was always the biggest one I, I used to get. What what other things, and maybe nothing, but but as you're going through this process uh, for the families, as they're hesitant, what, what are their items or hesitancy or things come up that you hear about that is a concern with a lot of families that you're able to address and say, hey, listen, I understand you have that concern. Many people do, but this is how we solve that. Is, is there any particular things that come up time and time again? Yeah, so there's two. One's a more boots on the grounds kind of thing. It's where um, a, a family, an adult child will say, well, a Medicaid nursing home, that must be horrible, right? It must be just the worst, the dregs of society, worst situation. And, and that's not the case. I mean, look, Nobody wants to be in a nursing home, right? That means you're you're sick or you're you're having some issues. But if you have to be in one, you want to be in one that's decent. You want to be in one that's nice. And with my clients, they're all in pretty good ones, right? Now there's some yeah. that are better than others, of course. But if if I come across a really bad one, I will tell the family. I don't care that the 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 contact to the family came through the nursing home. I don't care. If the nursing home is not performing well, and a lot of them have management issues, one, it may, may have been good two years ago, I'm not good anymore. I tell them, I'm like, these guys are not servicing you, they're understaffed or whatever. I'll, I'll tell the family, we have to look for alternatives. But generally speaking, generally speaking, they're fine. The Medicaid, the facilities themselves like their residents to have Medicaid as the payer source. So I, I get calls from the skilled nursing facilities while they're sitting and speaking to a family about applying for Medicaid when they're having trouble getting approved or it's a complicated case. They'll say, hey, we know a lawyer. Here he is, Andy Bellinson. Yeah. And I'll talk to him while they're in the office, actually, if they want. Just, you know, describe some solutions. Um, hey, so let me I, add to that, Andy. That's, that, that's great because yeah, exactly. That's how I used to get them also. And so people understand is that there are not Medicaid nursing homes, right? That one nursing home that this is where all the people of Medicaid go to. No, that's not how it works. It's that there is these these different uh, these different facilities, and they have an allotted amount of Medicaid beds. So when you walk in there and you walk down the hall, you're not going to be able to tell who's on Medicaid and who's not. And I think that's a great great point of that, right? That dispels a lot of them. No, this could be a very good, like you said, there's a lot of good ones, and that's kind of how it works. You know, it's not like you know they're going 
into this this place where no one wants to go. So that's that's a great great point. And and so you said you mentioned there's another another thing that comes up a lot. Oh yeah, there's there's a great one. This I, I love actually. So it's where there's a husband and wife, right? Uh-huh. So maybe they actually do have a lot of assets. They've had a great life and they've saved money and and but. Uh, the husband's sick and the the couple is 75 years old and the wife is healthy. And she's like, oh my God, if we spend all of our money trying to help my husband, I'm going to have none. So we'll get through this crisis and then we'll be destitute, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's, there's a mechanism where we can take all the joint assets and even let's say the husband's the, the one who needs the benefit, the husband's assets and move them all to the wife. And then we do a single application and we're we're like, again, we're showing them this. Oh, (laughs) wife now has $700,000. Husband looks like he's got nothing, right? But we showed him, we showed him everything. And then this one, this one's great. So some wives when I, or, or spouses love this, but particularly the wives, they'll go, what's that called? And I, and I tell them about the spousal transfers. And then I said, it's called spousal refusal. So you as the spouse, right after you got all that money moved over to you, you say, I refuse to pay for my husband's care. Now, people, I've had some people just not want to do it just because that's what it was called. And I respect that. But when I tell them, oh, the nursing home's going to be $15,000 a month, they're like, hmm, that doesn't sound so bad, that spousal refusal. Um, yeah. and And it's... It works very well. It traditionally was just for people in nursing homes. But down here in South Florida, they were a little bit more liberal on it. They allowed people who were going into assisted living. And sometimes even when they were living in the same house where the spouse was literally cooking him dinner. And we could still use spousal refusal. And now it's been codified that that is the case statewide, which is huge. Because I have a lot of families who need a little bit of help. And trust me, having $500,000, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. So we have to work to preserve it. And everything we do, we're showing to Medicaid. We're not hiding it. So if there was, if anybody thinks, ooh, that sounds a little fishy, well, I guess you wouldn't right. get if it, if it was fishy, but it's not. It's I'm not, not Andy. How, my... how, how can that be, Andy? How can that be, right? It's so crazy. And I tell people all the time, just because you've used me, you paid me a lot of money, we got the approval, we did all this asset protection. It's now a year later and you're still going through issues like Medicaid's paying for everything. It's all good, but you still have questions. And I'm one of the rare attorneys who actually they liked whatever. So I get calls from my clients a year, two, three, four years later, still with little questions. They're like, it just doesn't seem right how you do this. We just want to make sure we're still doing it right. Because it was a long time ago, we started doing it this way or that way. And I still chat with them. And I'm like, okay, this is the way you do it. And because you know this, Steve, things sometimes just don't sound right after some time. You kind of, you know, you did it, you, you followed the attorney's instructions it all went perfectly but you're a little unclear on how it all worked they call me and i'm like no you still do it this way you put the money there and then you move it over there and again every year there's a little um review by medicaid each year there's an annual renewal so we show them all those things too year after year we've never had we've never see i've never had somebody on their annual renewal not be renewed 
No, you're you're great, Andy. You know what you're doing. So I'll tell you a little a little funny story, right? When I was early on in in learning this Medicaid planning, like you say, you know, you just said spousal refusal got codified, right? Which means for non-lawyers out there, it means it was put into statute. This is recognized as a way to do it. It's in the law, you know, it's the laws that you read. Well, back in the in the earlier days, right, items like these, while they were allowed, they weren't codified, right? So you really didn't know about them or where did you find out about them? So I remember one time we were working on a particular challenging case. And like you, you know, you're like me, right? We understand that you're going to call the people at Medicaid, you're going to develop a rapport, you're going to develop a relationship, right? And uh, I'm talking to this lady one day, we're just talking about a case. And and she mentions, well, you should just go ahead and like do spousal refusal. I'm like, what? You know, what's what's that? And she's like, uh, so uh, anyway, uh, you know, we're going <laughs> to hang up here. So she hung up the phone and faxed me. It was a one page yeah. form. It was a one-page form that until the day I stopped practicing, we would copy that one form and sign it on the spousal refusal, right? Because you're like, how could this be? And so all of a sudden we sign the spousal refusal, we send it in and boom, the approval letter came, right? So it's such it's such a challenge. And really what this goes to, and what I'll, I'll say as we, as we wind up here is that you know what you're doing in this area of Medicaid planning uh, and VA planning. There are so many people out there that don't. Right. And it's hard to discern who does, who does not know. Uh, there's some great websites. I'll put them in the show notes about places where you can go, where attorneys that that go there. Uh, but it's it's going to be tough to discern. Right. Because you're like, somebody's going to tell you this and you you know what you're doing. You're telling them you're giving exactly great advice. And they're like, no, how can, how can that be? It's a counterintuitive uh, area, but a, a lot of it, a lot of it works. And it's really where we where we find themselves, right? If you if you have somewhat, even you haven't done that that pre planning. So, Andy, I really appreciate your time here. You know, we've gone through this. We we've, we've discussed how you find the clients, kind of the planning process, the approval process. You mentioned how they get. Is is there any other you know word of advice to maybe a family who's maybe they're not right there just yet. They might be getting there soon, or maybe they are going through it, or, or anything like that that you would put out there. That would be, you know, some some words that you think could could help them through this process. Two, two, two different sides to that answer. One, honestly, if you have questions or you think you're going to have questions, you can call me. So, Steve, please put that out there. Um, and I really don't mind. And I, I swear, most of the time when I'm on those long phone calls, I'm driving because I go to my clients because a lot of times my clients are in wheelchairs or they just broke their leg. I go to them. I drive to them. I set it up. It's just easier in South Florida because I know how to get there. They don't know how to come to my office. So I do all those long phone calls while I'm driving. So you're not taking up my time. It works well. It works really well. You keep me occupied while we're stuck in traffic on the turnpike. Number one. Number two, the piece of advice that I have to give everybody, and I already give it, get a power of attorney. Go get a power of attorney. <laughs> it's really important. The power of attorney just does so much. You, you you know, have a trusted family member. And the great thing about it, you can change it. You can change it. It's easy. You, you just write a new one and the old one's automatically gone. So that's really my piece of advice. The planning, the pre-planning, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around something that may or may not happen in the future. So people, you either have a great long-term care policy from before, or you've set up some wise annuities through you, or right? Those are really helpful. But assuming you're like 75% of the people out there, you haven't done any of this until it happens. And 
Yeah, that's great advice, Andy. I, I love that. If anybody's listening here, if you have your parents, even for you, and even if they're potentially going down the road of dementia, go get that power of attorney okay. right away, right yes. away, right? Because the longer you wait, the harder it comes. And with that, you can almost do anything. Without that, then the issues of you know guardianship come in, and then you're not going to get the Medicaid planning done in the guardianship. So you really want to get that done right right away so andy i really appreciate your time and we're going to put their information out there i hope anybody out there who's listened to this they, they find this helpful uh you'll have our information you have andy's information and the families that are going through this if if anything here we share could head you down the road to make the process a little easier uh then we're happy and, and we've oh, done our job can i say one more thing before people go just a yes. commercial for you steve the mm -hmm. the times where i have uh you've sent me clients or so it turns out that your clients are using me they we may not even have known that we're connected people have so many nice things to say about you it's so i it's appreciate really, it man. actually that that makes me feel good when i hear that so and i and i have heard it all a lot so that's same great. to you buddy same okay. to you i just you know I, I really appreciate that all right andy all right. Take care. Bye. Have a great one.